Hi, I'm Brenda Burns, and this is the Vienna Assembly of God Sermons Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to share this time with you. Learn more about the ministries of Vienna Assembly of God at ViennaAG.com. Please leave your comments and reviews on the platform where you're listening. And now for today's message. Promises, promises is what we're going to look at. What can we believe and who can we trust? And we're going to start with looking at these scriptures and then get into this. So we're in Genesis um, today, and I've got three passages there for you. Um, Beginning at Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 13. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Now down into Genesis 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And down to chapter 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we do pray for your anointing here today in this place. And that the word spoken here will meet the people that are here and that we will receive. It will be good seed and bring forth much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, what can we believe And who can we trust? 
in an article titled, The Times They Are Not a Changin'. Uh, some journalists, John Burnett and Marissa Pinaloza, interviewed several people who had been activists in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, and they were interviewing them to get their take on the divisions that are happening in our country in 2022. And many of these activists expressed dismay because they had kind of had an optimism in the 60s that after all of that upheaval, that some lasting change would come. Um, and they, were, they expressed sadness to see that some of the divisions in our country are even deeper than they had been. Um, the journalists say, in general, figures from the counterculture movement cited pervasive misinformation as a striking feature of the new divide. So one of the interviewees was Dan Baltz. He's age 76, a reporter for 44 years at the Washington Post. And um, he had actually, as a young, young cub reporter, covered the Democratic Convention in 1968, which those of us that were alive remember that was a very controversial time. And so, you know, he's seen a lot through the years. Um, but here's what he had to say that I thought was really profound. In the 60s, there were three broadcast networks. We all watched them. And they gave a kind of a common view of the world that people shared. People accepted the facts as facts. Now, you could disagree about what those facts meant. And you could disagree what kind of policies they should produce but you didn't disagree with the facts. He says, fast forward to the environment we're in today, it's fundamentally different. The internet democratized the flow of information and that's a good thing. But at the same time, we're all in our own silos of where we get the information that we want. And this is a real thing. People seek out the information that reinforces their view of the world rather than challenging it. That makes it easier for disinformation to flow, for conspiracy theorists to thrive, and as we saw on January 6th, I'm still quoting him, that for people to act on it, I think that's the more dangerous world we're in. In many ways, you could understand what was happening in the 60s. It's harder to understand that today when you see people believing and accepting things that are just demonstrably not true. So that's this journalist's take on things. So what can we believe and who can we trust? Does literally everybody have their own angle and only looking out for what, what will get them their way, the, the way they want things? Do we, in general, think in terms of the greater good? Are we able to love our neighbor as ourselves? Or are we so paralyzed by mistrust that it limits our generosity of spirit? These are questions that are facing all of our society. And 
that we are confronted whether or not to believe and trust on any given day, any given story we may hear. I mean, how many have it, how many have had that happen where somebody, like Craig and I will be having a conversation and one of us say to the other, such and such happened. And the other one answered, because I don't believe that. <laughs> you know, like, like you just, you just I, I got I to gotta research that a little bit more. I got to find out. Because we just, you can't just believe what you hear. Well, what about if you see it with your own eyes? Even that is questionable anymore with deep fake video and airbrushed images and virtual reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our world is at the precipice of doubt, constantly questioning what is real, what is true, what can be believed, who can be trusted. And then there is the buzzword of the day in church circles, deconstruction. Do you all know that word? Have you heard that? Do you know what I'm even talking about? This is where people come to a crisis of faith. They begin analyzing what they thought they believed, only to watch it crumble through disillusion with human failures and or disappointment with God. God, I thought I was trusting in your promises, but it doesn't look like that's happening. God, hello, God, God, are you there? You know, this is, this is, people are just feeling this sense of a vacuum. I've been reading a book on lament because God keeps drawing me back to this understanding of lament. Author Scott Ellington affirms what I've been sensing, that lament is an expression of the deepest faith. That it is a way, he calls it taking a risk on God. And here's, here's what he says, and parents, listen up, because I think this is a fascinating description. Lament will not accept as final the mere testimony of eyes and ears. It refuses to answer the silence of God in kind. Like a small child, lament keeps endlessly repeating, Mommy, 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 in that irritating tone of children <laughs> that simply cannot be ignored. While lament may explore dark places and journey to extreme frontiers in a relationship with God, by its very nature, it refuses to step back from that relationship in silence. So... This introduction may not seem like a good place to start for talking about the promises of God. But I don't want to dive into this without acknowledging the doubt and the disappointment that might hinder us from daring to hope again in God's faithfulness. To believe that God's promises are yes and amen to know that we can, in fact, trust God, that great is his faithfulness. So I don't want to just toss out a lot of flowery promises for them to just land on the hard ground of a wounded heart and, and just wither up and dry. I want us to be able to dig deep and know that we can, under, we can accept and trust God. 
So this idea about lament, I, I want us to just take a moment. If this introduction has rung true with you at any level of the, the pain that living in this era of mistrust causes, the, the, the wish to just be able to relax in the peace of God and not have to have this anxiety about what can I believe. I just want us to stop a moment and hold that before the Lord. And then we're going to dive into talking a minute about the promises of God. So let's just pause. Lord, we want to come to a place of peace, a place of trust in you. And we lament that we live in a very skeptical age. Please help us to overcome doubt, disillusion, and to learn how to trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I'm going to go kind of rapid fire through this now. So a key aspect of understanding the promises of God is covenant. We need to understand the concept of covenant in the scripture. So covenant basically means a formal agreement between two parties. A covenant relationship between God and humans is quite different than any other covenant relationship because God is our creator. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He doesn't enter into an agreement with us. Rather, he creates the agreement. He initiates it. He establishes the conditions, and he's the one who provides for the relationship. But I want to read some definitions of covenant from some Bible dictionaries and commentaries, and I'm just going to ask you to hang with me here because each one of these explains a little bit differently an aspect of what it means for us to be in covenant. So the first one is very similar to what I just said. Arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligations, especially the arrangement that established the relationship between God and his people. So note the mutual obligations. Each side in the covenant has obliged themselves to something. They, will, they are making a promise. Another definition, oath-bound promise, whereby one part solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. Sometimes the keeping of the promise depends upon the meeting of certain conditions by the party to whom the promise is made. 
On other occasions, the promise is made unilaterally and unconditionally. The covenant concept is a central unifying theme of Scripture, establishing and defining God's relationship to man, to humans, in all ages. So note that sometimes it is unconditional, unilateral. We read an example of that in God's promise to Noah that the earth will never be destroyed again by a flood. There were no conditions attached to that. It was an unconditional, unilateral covenant promise of God. Another definition, a solemn agreement between two or more parties made binding by some sort of oath what is mutually agreed upon is usually the future conduct of one or both of the parties concerned. And the reality of our covenant relationship with God is that he has promised us a future that is steadfast and good and wonderful. And it is important for us to realize this, that in the covenant itself is this looking ahead to the future of what God will do. Another one. God's covenants are prominent in every period of salvation history. Divine covenants reveal the saving plan of God for establishing communion with Israel and the nations, ultimately fulfilled by the death and resurrection of Christ. Covenant language is more prominent in the Old Testament, which reflects its futuristic character as a story in search of an ending. And so again, understanding how covenant goes through all the Old Testament, looking ahead to Jesus Christ, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant promises of God and brought us into the new covenant. Last one. Contracts and covenants differ in a few areas. In terms of initiation, contracts are made by the exchange of promises, whereas covenants are sworn by solemn oaths. And so even in the scripture, we see a difference between somebody just saying, I promise, and somebody taking a solemn oath, you know, that it's, it's more deep. In application, contracts are limited by the terms of the exchange of property. This is yours, that is mine. While covenants involve an exchange of life, I am yours, you are mine. It is much deeper. In terms of motivation, contracts are based on profit and self-interest. While covenants call for self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. And it's not saying that contracts are bad. <laughs> I hope you have a contract on your house. You know, it's, it's important that you protect your interest in things. But that's a covenant is much deeper and there's this self-giving loyalty 
And then contracts are temporary, while covenant bonds are permanent, even intergenerational. And that's the truth of God's covenants with us. It, it is from generation to generation to generation. He is faithful. All right. In our scriptures today, we read that God initiated a covenant with Noah, promising the earth would never again be destroyed by a flood. And the redemptive narrative of scripture includes covenant language. So even before Abraham, that's why I read Noah, even some point to the uh, Garden of Eden and the conversations that God had before the fall and after the fall, that even though the word covenant isn't necessarily there, it fits the pattern of a covenant promise of God to us. This is how God works. It's in his character to initiate covenant with us. And I love the way that that comparing it to a contract where it says it's an exchange of life. I am yours and you are mine. This has been God's way with humans always. He has always been giving of himself to us. Understanding this background in the Old Testament, it is crucial as we move forward and, and next week as we share communion together, when we want to grasp the words that Jesus said as he held up the cup and, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So this is the foundation for us to go into further talking about the promises of God. So I want to just share one more. This is in the realm of study type things, but I think you'll get something from this. So just listen about some things that archaeologists have found about biblical covenants being very closely related to the types of treaties that um, were in ancient times. So we know that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But God would use the literary forms, the cultural concepts, etc., that in the ancient world to communicate with his people. So learning from these discoveries about how these ancient treaties worked helps us to better understand how God revealed himself to his people and the way his covenants work. So let's look at what are some aspects of these ancient treaties. Uh, the treaty was initiated by the great king, the king of the more powerful country. So the treaty would establish a political relationship between uh, two countries, the, uh, the great king and then a vassal king from the less powerful company country. And the relationship was between two unequal parts. This was a, a reality of these ancient treaties. Well, we know God is the great king. He is he's so much greater than anything we can imagine. He's the more powerful one. And in his greatness and power, he chose to enter into covenant relationship with us. So now the form of the treaty is, would be like this. These are the things that you would see in the treaty. 
a historical prologue detailing the history between the two countries. And usually it would highlight all the good things that the great king has already been doing for the lesser country. And it would place a burden of gratitude on that lesser country. Well, many places in the scripture, there is this listing of all the ways, the mighty deeds that God has done for his people as he is calling them into making covenant promise. And so it kind of follows that pattern there too. Uh, then we see, okay, come on, come on, Evernote. Um, after they've done this prologue, then the laws governing how this treaty will be enacted are put out. And it's it's telling how the great king will come to the aid of the lower country and how the lesser country will come to the aid of if the um, great king needs help. And it's, it's, it's specific laws. This is how this treaty will work. Well, in our covenant relationship with God, as we talked last week, he has given us his law. Remember it said, blessed is the one that meditates on his law day and night. God has given us guidance on how to live according to his covenant. We don't have to wonder what to do here. We, he has given us the guidance and the way to live as his people. The way to be different from the world, but to live according to his people. God has given us those laws. And then after that, blessings and curses would be detailed as to what would happen if one of the kings broke the laws. Well, does that sound familiar? It does to me. One of the most famous places is in Deuteronomy 28, where Moses is calling all the people to once more commit themselves into covenant relationship with God, and he details all the blessings that will follow if they obey and all the curses if they disobey. And so this is another way that covenant works. And then there would be the witnesses. At the conclusion of this treaty document, <laughs> they would call on God's, small g, God's, people, and even heaven and earth were called on to witness the making of the treaty. And there are many places in scripture where God is speaking to his people, and then he'll say, I call on heaven and earth to witness this promise that it will take place. And so we see that that kind of, of structure was something that the ancients were understanding the level of commitment that God was making when he would do that, when he would call on all the witnesses to his promises. And then the last part of the treaty would be to delineate the deposit of the treaty text. Where are these important documents going to live? We have the word of God that has been given to us. In the Old Testament, 
the law of the Lord was living in the Ark of the Covenant, and it was in the middle of the tabernacle and is a part of the worship of God. We have the word of God given to us from the Old Testament and the New Testament. This treaty document has been secured, but in addition to us having a copy of the word of God that we can actually study and meditate on and learn, God said, I will write my laws on your heart. His covenant relationship with us detailed where are these important documents going to live? Where is this promise going to be? He has given it to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit as his deposit that to prove himself to us. And we don't have to be succumbing to the doubt and the um, distrust and the mistrust that is a part of our culture, but we can trust in God because he has deposited his promises to us. Amen? Amen. Well, that's what I have for us today. And it's, I, I understand that it's kind of a basic teaching, but I feel like we need this, this undergirding us as we look further at the promises of God, to know that we can trust him, that he is a covenant God. He keeps his covenants and that they are powerful. They are yes and amen, his promises to us. And we do not have to be uh, tossed about with every wind of doctrine and with every fearful thing that is happening, but we can be secure in the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for being our rock, our steadfast God. We can depend on you. And I pray that you would build that assurance in us to learn your promises and to live according to them. To know your laws and to joyfully be loyal to you in them. That we can believe you and trust your word. If you enjoyed today's message, why not share it with a friend? I invite you to subscribe at Apple Podcasts and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. So glad that you were with us today. Look forward to seeing you next week. At Vienna Assembly of God, we love God, others, and life. And we're leading our community in a growing relationship with God.